seriously popular. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others while she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven infants and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail, I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. So last week, in our first episode back after the Christmas break, Caroline, we heard from Mark Hanna. Now, he's the editor of McNay's Essential Law for Journalists. And this week, we had been hoping to bring you details of evidence heard by the jury during their first week back. As often happens in long and complicated court cases like this one, we get delays. And once again this week, one of the jurors was poorly and another had a family matter to deal with. So they didn't actually sit at all last week. So the long and short of it is we haven't got any evidence to bring you. But luckily, we're going to hear more from Mark Hanna. And we've also lined up another great guest to speak to, John Harris, the legendary boss of Cavendish Press. Welcome to episode 11. (music) 
In the first part of Mark's interview last week, we heard about the challenges journalists face covering court cases. In the second part today, he tells us about a new procedure that means some cases are not even heard in public. Well, the backdrop to this is the austerity years when public spending was cut. The Ministry of Justice suffered a very big cut over 10 years. I think it was nearly a quarter of its budget. So they looked at ways to what they call modernise the system, which basically means to cut costs mainly. So the government of the day in 2015 passed law enabling what we now know is the single justice procedure. And in layman terms, that's essentially kind of like secret hearings. Yes. What it is, is the government presented this as dealing with kind of low-level cases in magistrate's court, such as speeding, TV licence evasion, train fare evasion. These were dealt with only by fines, not imprisonment. And under this law, there doesn't have to be a court hearing at all. A notice of prosecution is sent to the person accused, the defendant, that they can plead guilty or not guilty. If they plead guilty or don't respond, for those types of cases, there's no courtroom hearing. It's dealt with by a single magistrate sitting in an office, basically, looking at the evidence and if anything has been heard from the defendant. Now, these kind of low-level cases used to be in open court, and it may be that journalists didn't attend them very much, but the point was they could if they heard of a local dignitary or celebrity, or they could just wander in and listen and to pick it up and see That's... if anything was newsworthy. Yeah. But now they can't because it's an administrative process. There's no court hearing at all. Lists are sent to journalists, or should be, saying who's due to be dealt, and there should also be a register sent saying what the outcome is. But what journalists don't get, unless they write in by email to apply for it, they don't get the evidence and they don't get any mitigation. Now, some journalists are doing that. One in particular, Tristan Kirk of the Evening uh, Standard in London, has pioneered this. And the law does allow you to write in and, and request the prosecution evidence and any mitigation. But it's turned into an investigative process, if you like, whereas before you could go along and hear it, and now you have to apply for it. It can take weeks. It's onerous, basically, and, for journalists um, to do it, isn't it? It's much more whether a journalist hears of an individual case that they need to pursue. They don't hear of the case, and they don't get the register. Sometimes these are not sent out, or they don't recognise the name on the register because it's a celebrity or someone using their real name, not yes. their yeah, stage right. name. Mm. Yeah. Then the case can go completely unreported. In fact, Tristan found out over a thousand cases had never been publicised at all including two policemen who've been fined under the COVID regulations for not obeying quarantine coming back from abroad. These cases weren't publicised at all until he started digging. That seems to have snuck under the radar. Well, I think when MPs passed this law, they were told it was for what was known as straightforward victimless crime. The nature of the crimes being dealt with has kind of spread out from what MPs, I think, understood. For example, truancy cases are being dealt yeah, with yeah. in the single justice procedure, whereby a parent is prosecuted because a child doesn't attend school. It could be that there's a wider issue here. Was the child being bullied? Is yeah. the school looking after the children's regards bullying? And these cases are now virtually being unreported. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay, Liz, so Mark Hammer there was talking a lot about changes in court cases and we've heard a lot on the podcast about changes in access to courts and the number of trials that are maybe not covered in enough detail. And we've got the most amazing guest on to talk to us a bit more about this, haven't we? I mean, I can't think of anyone better than... Mr. Justice John Harris, as he's known. <laughs> as he's commonly known in the north, in the northern circuit of journalism, we should say. John, introduce yourself. Tell us why you might be known by that, that name and, and what you've done in your career. OK. My name's John Harris and I'm uh, the principal at Cavendish Press, which is a, a news agency which sources stories and pictures for various newspapers, websites, magazines, etc. The reason for the Mr. Justice nickname is because for many, many years, our agency has covered primarily court cases, tribunals and inquests. And a lot of our podcast so far in the guests that we've had on has talked about why court cases now are maybe not covered as much as they used to be. But maybe that's not true. Maybe you're in there all the time with your teams and covering everything. It is true that many, many, in particular, magistrates' courts and uh, smaller crown courts were traditionally covered by solo freelancers. And they would cover cases for the local papers. They'd be on what's called retainer agreements where they get flat fees every month and that would be for the local papers. Unfortunately, the retainer agreements were scrapped sort of in the late 90s, early noughties, which has since made it difficult for freelancers to exist in the courts. I mean, we still do the courts because we supply pictures as well, which does help when it comes to covering courts worthwhile. But sadly, those who don't do pictures will struggle and inevitably many freelancers have either retired or just given up because we're living on fees which were agreed in the 1980s. But you still, every day, have someone, don't you, at a magistrate's court, yes. or yeah. a, a number of magistrates' court across the northwest. Yes. And you do get some great stories yes. every day well, from them. Well, when I first started out 30-odd years ago, my first boss always told me that the best stories are always in the magistrate's courts. And the reason for that is a lot of it just reflects real life. Most readers will relate to cases that appear in the magistrate's course, whether it be drink driving or um, neighbourhood disputes or family feuds. 
These are incidents which people relate to. The offbeat, the quirky, sometimes the very, very funny. You will get black comedy cases at the magistrate's court, which you might not necessarily get at the Crown Court. They're great courts to Mm. cover. I actually think, in my sort of 30 years of doing this, I actually think the courts are a lot more accessible now than they were about 20 to 30 years ago. I think we're getting a lot more access to stuff that we wouldn't have otherwise been. And I think also, in many cases, the press are not treated as the enemy. There has been anecdotal evidence of magistrates saying, wow, it's great to see you here because yeah. I'm not, we've not seen a single reporter in six months. Yeah. And that is quite sad, really. What we've found is that I mean, it's only in recent times that we've been covering the magistrates' courts in Cheshire and some in Merseyside. A lot of them haven't been covered for many years. When you're sending them to those, are you sending with a specific story in mind because you've seen something on the list? You're not sending speculatively? No. It's always about targeting particular cases which I think are going to be interesting. So you've seen the list and you go, "Mm, there's something in that. Yes. There's one this morning that we're having a look at about uh, an 83-year-old man who's up for harassment and criminal damage to a neighbour's adjoining wall. So um, it's potentially quite interesting. He's 83, very unusual for an 83-year-old man to be before the court. He's accused of climbing over a fence and shouting abuse at his next-door neighbour. We were talking to Mark about single justice procedure Mm. and is this pushing magistrates' court hearings behind closed doors? Your view is slightly different, isn't it? Just explain why you're not as concerned about single justice procedure. A lot of these single justice procedure cases are very minor motoring matters. And I've seen these, these lists. They're freely available for any member of the press to pick up. And it's a bit like the old days of when you used to plead guilty by letter and you would then get you know, three points on your licence and a £60 fine. These single justice pr- procedures might be for people who perhaps have turned down the chance of going on a speed awareness course. But we're not talking about a scenario where people are facing a road ban or potentially very serious matters being dealt with behind closed doors. I suppose there is an argument to say, is this a slippery slope? I think there's concerns over whether they're dealing with truancy that way, whether they're dealing with Mm. COVID fines that way, and whether then the list becomes chunkier and bigger because, well, actually, is that minor? Should we put that in there as well? And I suppose that's the concern, isn't it, that if if it grows? I would be surprised if truancy cases were being dealt with by single justice procedure. Because technically you can be jailed for truancy offences. There has been cases in the past where parents have gone to prison for not sending their children Mm. to school. But I have seen a number of single justice procedures, not just the one I showed you this morning. All of it is is motoring, Mm. it's speeding or failing to produce documents. So therefore, do you think it makes some sense in terms of making the court process more efficient? Well, you've got to remember that courts aren't cheap to run. The argument will be, well costs about 750 quid to run a magistrate's court for a day the view might be that well what is the point of of putting on a special court just to have somebody say yep he was caught speeding at 40 and a 30 and i'm finding him 60 quid with three points on the license because invariably if you plead guilty by letter or whatever it is invariably there won't be an explanation there it will mm. just be yes i admit it you know i throw myself on the mercy of the court or whatever <laughs> it is they're going to say yeah. <laughs> But what are you worried about then, John? We know you have concerns. My main gripes are, well, the, the minor one at the magistrates' court is that it's sometimes very difficult to get the first name of the magistrates, but that's by the by. The main gripes are some of the stuff that goes on at the Crown Court. 
What happens now is that courts will have something called a digital case system known as the DCS, which is a great invention. It's like a hub for prosecution, defence lawyers, probation officers, police, etc., to file various evidence, opening statements, sentencing statements, that sort of stuff. So the judge can read a lot of the papers before hearing the case. Great for them, but the trouble is there is an element of a double-edged sword about it because if the judges read the papers, which invariably they will have done, they'll come into court with an idea of actually what's what's going to happen and you will get scenarios where the judges say, right, I've read the papers, can we get on with it, please, because you don't need to go into too much detail. So invariably, uh, you'll get a scenario where the judge will have read the uh, papers beforehand and come into court and will have an idea, basically, of what everything is about. And he may, he may even have an idea of what sentence they're about to pass. But that is no good for a member of the public or a member of the press sat in court. And unfortunately, the effect of that is that we are then placing difficulty about what we can actually report the case in as little detail. That then leads in turn to confusion in terms of the readership who have no idea why somebody facing a serious criminal offence has in effect walked free. The other issue is the use of victim impact statements mm. in court. These were a bit of a revelation when they were introduced, weren't they? Well, I think it's an American thing. Uh, what happens to happen in these American courts is that people stand up and tell the court of the, what the effects are of the perpetrator's crimes against them. And what it does is it adds a human element. When they're delivered by the actual victim or relative of a yeah. victim, they're really powerful. Yeah, well, the reason why they were introduced is because it's so the defendant could actually hear them. It's, I mean, it's, that's the reason why they, sh they should mm -hmm. be read out, is mm -hmm. so the defendant can hear what the effects are of the crime he or she has committed on the victim. Yes, there will be cases where some people will give those victim impact statements in person. Invariably, there will be some, many occasions where they're not present in court to give their victim impact statements, yet they've still been written and they should still be heard. And there has been numerous examples where a prosecutor might refer to a victim impact statement and the judge will say, yeah, I've read it. And they'll go, right, we'll go no further then. And of course, then the defendant never hears mm. what the victim has suffered in terms of a human element. And whilst the judge, I know, will take it into account, the victim impact statement, that is, when sentencing, it's still important that the defendant should actually hear what is actually said by the victim. One case that I covered, the judge says, I hope you read the report when you're in prison. Well, he may well have read the report, the defendant, but I suspect that person didn't. Surely, if one of the intentions of victim impact statements was for the defendant to hear yes. what the impact has been of their behaviour or their crime, we're not quite fulfilling that intention, is it? If you feel like you're shortchanging the victim. Yes. Well, indeed, and yeah. I suspect the victim is writing it for that reason. Yes. Some victims will actually specifically ask for their statements to be read out, and, and they will be. I think on the majority, you'll find that the prosecutor might do a very mm. sort of watered-down version of the victim impact statement, just a couple of lines. And it comes back to that same argument. The defendant really should hear the full effects mm. of what the victim has suffered. What's the reason to not read them out? It's nothing to do with trying to keep things secret. It's nothing like that at all. It is all about time. I understand why the courts want cases to be dealt with quickly because they've got a huge backlog to get through post-COVID. Mm. How often are you coming across it? Certainly the anodyne sort of couple of lines 
pretty much probably about 70% of the time, you don't get to hear the full statements. There's one particular judge actually that sits and he will actually read out passages of the victim impact statement, which he thinks are significant when the prosecutor doesn't read it out. So, uh, and it's very unusual that that particular judge does it. And it, it does explain, it helps me understand and that means it helps the public understand because we obviously we are known as the eyes and ears of mm. the public. There's a couple of occasions where I've sat through victim impact statements on a sentencing that come immediately to my mind. The wife of the police officer, yeah. Dave Phillips, mm. when he was murdered on the Wirral, gave me goosebumps, that mm-hmm. one, in court. She was so eloquent and mm. it was very powerful. But I'm guessing she gave that statement in person. She did. She yes. stood up in person. Let's not ignore the importance of open justice. And let's get these statements actually read out properly as they're supposed to be. Tell us, I don't know, best magistrate's court story. My favourite magistrate's court case (laughs) is still one. I I love he's got one off the top of his head. I do. We did not prep him for this (laughs) and yet he has it. No, it is still one from about 30 years ago. I was covering another case and I had to go and do a door knock on it. And what happened was that um, I went for a pint at this particular person's local pub afterwards and keeping um, up those journalist yes, traditions right. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> glad to a, hear that it was a lovely little pub in Drax near Selby it was it was a, a real country pub hardly anybody in there and the landlord asked us who we were and uh, said who we were and what we were there for and he says oh you don't need to worry about that load of rubbish why don't you come to our court case and I was going and obviously I was thinking yeah right okay here we go it was in the days of strict licensing laws and the landlord was up for um, serving people after hours what was interesting about it was that um, the police sent in three undercover officers to expose this thing. But what was more interesting was that all three officers got absolutely sloshed during this investigation, <laughs> one of whom was so drunk that he actually fell over whilst trying to, in effect, arrest this uh, landlord. And, um, uh, and obviously we went to cover this case. All the officers gave evidence and they all had to admit drinking between five and eight pints of Old Bailey beer. Which is what they, they were serving Old Bailey, which is a very strong oh, brilliant. beer. brilliant. Fa- the famous headline in the Daily Mail being uh, Passing Out Parade. Yeah, that was the headline. Top marks to our subs there. That was, uh, that was without doubt, my favourite. Okay. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for yeah. joining us. It's been fantastic to see Great you. Great to have you, John. Uh, we'll let you get back to court. Uh, well, it might be more a case of a coffee or maybe uh, something stronger, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks. Right, thanks, John. Yeah. Thank you. So that's it for episode 11. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with some evidence about baby H, a baby girl who Lucy Letby is accused of attempting to murder twice in September 2015. Charges she denies. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence, and you can read my daily reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. And we'll both be back next week. See you then. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.